Welcome to another Sunday session, NRL.com's podcast for round five. Chris Kennedy and Kenny Scott to take you through all the highs and lows of round five, um, such as they are so far. Kenny, how are you going? Uh, doing really well. Thanks once again for having me. No players on this week, so it's just going to have to be you and me shouldering the burden of getting this bad boy home. Slightly uh, disrupted sort of around, which uh, why don't we just have a little bit of a chat right now about what's been going on as we sit here. Um, we're not talking about eight games, we're talking about seven because the dogs and the roosters got postponed until Monday night. Um, a teacher at the primary school attended by Aidan Tolman's daughter tested positive to coronavirus so everyone sprung into action got that game postponed um put him in isolation while he went and got tested he's since come back negative so crisis averted but um the obviously the wheels are already in motion so that dogs and roosters game is uh monday night rather than sunday night um so yeah good to uh Good to know that we don't really have a problem to, to worry about, which is a relief. And unrelated, but um, also breaking news today, crowds allowed back in from July 1, up to um, 25% of ground capacity for stadiums, up to 40,000 seats. So potentially crowds up to 10,000 from, uh, what's that, barely two weeks away. I can't wait. How exciting is that? Uh, I, as soon as I heard the news, I went and looked at the draw and said, okay, who's playing who um, from the 1st of July? Do you think that's going to mean any kind of change around use of stadium, or uh, do you think the the game's just going to stick with the current the current fixtures as they are? Yeah, the the rejigged stadiums are locked in through was it round nine, I think. Um, so yeah, all the games being out of Gosford and Campbelltown and such forth that that's locked in through to round nine. So if you're a you know, a Newcastle or a Manly fan, you're going to have to um, make the trip to to Gosford to see your team and. Same with, you know, Canberra fans at Campbelltown and all the other sort of displaced mm-hmm. sides. But um, obviously some crowd is better than no crowd. Although we have had slightly more than no crowd this weekend. We've had a few um, hundred hard, hardy battlers at a, a few of the games doing their best to make their voices heard, which I've quite enjoyed. How do you think those, uh, those historical attendances are going to be noted in like statistical records? Because there's always talk about some period in the past where you know crowds were much bigger than, than present day it doesn't matter what year it is there's always some sort of chatter about that and everyone goes back and brings out crowd figures to either prove or disprove that point and it's just going to be this big fat obvious period where crowds are either put zero or you know 150 people i wonder if it's just going to be a, a nice little asterisk in the uh what the place is the guinness book of records yeah i think it'll be a big um, enough event for the next 10 or 15 years that everyone will know instantly what it was but yeah you're right in 50 years time looking back going yeah. why was there 180 people at this game that usually <laughs> would have 10 or twenty thousand. um but yeah that's uh it's all good news um so let's get off and running taking our way back through the seven games we've got to talk about um as we sit here we've just watched the end of the dragons and the sharks um mary mcgregor rung the changes and it paid dividends 30 to 16 winners their first try was scored for the first try for 86 days i think it was um went on to add a few more to that um and their first win of the season so a few smiles in the red v camp today yeah, I mean, this was the classic local derby. Uh, you know, you'd call it the final trial of Paul McGregor. You know, basically, is this the game the Dragons stand up and stop being pushed around and stop being the league's whipping boy? Uh, and it's true, they was. They, they did really, really well. Um, I always thought that they, they played... Um, I thought they played with a, a very specific and structured game plan and, and a lot of, uh, like, quite tough and gritty, which is not how I thought they'd play at all. I, I would have thought that from this point, you know... No one thinks that former Gregor is going to have his contract renewed, regardless of whether he runs for the rest of this year or all of next year as well. Um, 
players are moving on. There's absolutely no pressure on them. I would have thought they would have gone Daniel Anderson 2009 with Parramatta Reels and go, whatever, like do whatever you want. And we would have seen some real fast uh, open uh, attacking football. Not that they didn't, didn't play some nice attacking football, but they were just, man, they were tough and they were determined and they knew like um, they did not want to lose. Uh, and obviously it showed. I thought the very first, because Dufty crossed the line really early on and that was this allowed for obstruction, I think, I thought. And when, um, when that happened, I was like, well, that just typifies the Dragons completely, doesn't it? Mm. Um, show a lot of promise. Score a try. What would have been a legit try had it not been for a, a relatively lazy uh, obstruction obstruction play. Um, so therefore, lose possession with a penalty, and then I think the drag the Sharks marched upfield uh, and scored um, off the back of that. And I thought that was going to set the tone for the game. Um, and you know, I was thinking about all the poor Dragon fans, but man, they held in there and they, they turned it around. So well done to the whole team. What do you think of the changes? Obviously, I, I feel for poor Matt Dufty. He's been in and out and in and out, and um, you know, not he's been played off the bench, and they've used a bunch of different fullbacks. I thought he was easily their their best player, but obviously Ben Hunt back to the bench is a a massive caller. They did end up playing the the vast majority of the game, but that in turn pushes um, Cameron McInnes out to more of a you know loose forward, you know, officially playing lock, but that's sort of just roaming forward role um it was all a little bit i was radically different to what they've had in, in recent weeks but it seemed to work i still feel like mckinnis is probably best served at nine but ben hunt also is best served at nine so that's um, a bit of a headache yeah it's, it's kind of like a um a kurt gidley origin captain off the bench situation where uh yeah you, you've got you've got to get him in the team somewhere but you're not you're not quite sure how to, how to go about it I found it really hard to keep up with what, what the makeup of the team was supposed to be. Like, everyone, all the numbers were wrong. It was really hard to work out who was supposed to be where. But I thought, at the end of the day, when looking at that game, what Paul McGregor should be going with from now on is Dufty's fullback, um, Corey Norman, whilst he wasn't awful, like, he, I don't think he was particularly effective when he was playing back there. Mm. Uh, yeah, he'll have Ben Hunt at nine. Cam McGuinness will go into the middle somewhere, which is probably, he's probably a better nine than he is, uh, like, lock. But... Um, I think Ben Hunt probably probably doesn't devalue he, when he's in hooker doesn't devalue that position enough to not justify making that move if that makes if that makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought uh, with Corey Norman, if you don't have him at fullback, uh, you don't. I don't think he's particularly their best option in the halves. Maybe he's the thing that's sort of um, getting in the way of that team being completely cohesive. I think. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's not yet perfect, but I thought the changes worked. Yeah, and Cam McInnes is at least good enough, no matter where you're playing, that he can sort of service that, you know, that Cam Murray, Victor Radley, that small, mobile, you know, energetic mm. 13 middle forward role, which he um he did well in this game against the Sharks. Won't dwell on the Sharks, but they um, it's pretty hard to see them making the finals if they're going to produce the sort of footy that they produced today. Yeah, didn't they? They looked really tired towards the end, didn't they? Like, and that was partly due to the Dragons' game plan, which was just sort of pin and dip, pin them down in their half. But the last 20 minutes, they just looked gassed. And a couple of their big-name players, like um, Fafita and Dugan, uh, again, they just looked... I think Dugan, um, Fafita was playing injured, at least. He, he looked like he wasn't running very well. Um, Maybe again, just down on match like fitness, they, too. He hasn't played in a long time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I actually didn't think of that. They, they just they looked tired towards the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think... Um, they'll be making uh, any kind of glorified run to the finals this year. No, I tend to agree. Um, the Your West Tigers looked like they were going to um, spring another upset for a fair chunk of that game on, on Saturday night, but um, 
couldn't quite get there in the end. Um, it's maybe a, a bit of a frustrating game as a fan to look at them being trying hard and being competitive and not, you know. Yeah, it's one of it's one of those 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 losses where you're like, oh, you know, we can take a lot of a lot of a lot out of that loss, or it was a gritty loss. But at the end of the day, it's still loss, right? It doesn't matter. Mm. Um, I thought like it's kind of like the Dragons, right? Heaps of changes made, trying to get out. Like, get, how do you get the best out of this team? I really, I, I thought Reynolds was really good um, in the halves. I'm, I again, yeah. Like Benji, I think Benji's good enough to be in the team as well. I think it's, yeah, you got three three halves and only two spots for them. Um, and I, I think with Harry Grant at hooker, there's no room for Reynolds at hooker. So again, that's that's sort of a bit of a conundrum that the coach needs to work out. Could you not play um, Josh Reynolds off the bench because he can play? half an hour at hooker or just one of those, you know, Brandon Smith type, just get him out there and let him do his thing sort of rolls for half an hour off the bench and bring some energy and, and leave sort of Benji and, and Brooks to, to run the show. And then, you know, Harry Grant and Josh, you, you can still play Harry Grant for 70 or 80 minutes and, mm. you know, job share. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a, a really, a really um, good point. Cause the one thing that he definitely brought was he just brought spark and energy and yeah, yeah like he, there was, there was some defensive lapses and like, it wasn't a perfect game by any means, but he just, he, he brought an, an energy that the team I feel lacks uh, a lot of the time. So um, I reckon it was an impressive, uh, impressive um, return to first grade for Josh Reynolds for Russell Packer on the other hand, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately yeah. not so I really felt for him. Like, He's been out of the game, you know, in reserve grade and um, battling through injury for the best part of a year. I think 14 months officially. Finally gets his chance, comes rearing onto the park. The game's in the balance, uh, gives away a, a sin penalty and off the, uh, you know, off the resulting uh, penalty. Uh, the Raiders get the try that puts them, puts them in front and then commits the penalty that makes it eight points so they have to score twice to try and get the lead back. So didn't really shower himself in, uh, in glory mm. there. But I, again... I think he needs to be in a team as well because once once he gets used to the flow, I mean that is assuming he doesn't get suspended because I think he's up for he's on report as well. Yeah, it's two I to three if, weeks. Oh, poor guy. Um, if uh, I, I just think I think he brings like a, a toughness and a, like it's a, a bit of starch that the, the team needs because the, the problem with the Tigers is they've got they when they want to be they have a really tough defence but that 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 like the defence is so. It's brittle and that like it's hard, but as soon as it's, it's as soon as you break it, like it shatters and it just just doesn't come back. Um, so, yeah, still a, a lot of work to be done uh, in Campbelltown. What about the Raiders? They were probably not as good as they could be, but they um, they just sort of needed to find a way to get the job done after what Newcastle did to them last week. And uh, obviously, Ricky Stewart's 400th game in the top grade. We saw him um, celebrating in fine style, necking a uh, necking a tinny in the sheds while everyone oh, really? cheered him on old school. Yes. Yeah, so if he wanted to really, the... really live a glory, if he really yeah. wanted to really live a glory days of Ricky Stewart, would have been a leader of milk. Um, but no, I missed that. That would have been how what a what a nice little piece of footage that would have been. I thought the Raiders did really well. Uh, all they needed to do, I guess, it might, it'll do a lot for their belief in their systems. And I hate using the word systems to describe the way any kind of team plays. Processes. It'll give them the belief that yeah, all that sort of stuff. But like they, if they just keep sticking to the team, sticking to the processes, following mm. their systems, the result will turn. And that's exactly what it did. Like I said, that first half, the Tigers had them. They were just. But hitting him with that game plan, which was kick early, pin him down, and tire him out. And, and if the Tigers uh, had enough um, enough wherewithal to, to sustain uh, the short periods where tight things didn't go their way, it might have been different. But well done to the Raiders again. Yeah. Following their process, sticking to the game plan, got mm. the result. 
Good to see Sticky appreciates the storyline because he promoted uh, Jordan Ruppiner to the starting side so he could mark up against his old pal Joey Leilua for the West Tigers. He uh, he said in the post-match press conference it was just about sort of the experience factor and with the Tigers having the experience of Leilua on that edge, he wanted you know Ruppiner's experience ahead of Simonson to, to mark him up. It was good to see the old, um, you know, the, the Leipana combo going head-to-head a little bit as well. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Ricky, he's a fan of the game, right? So he, uh, he only wants what's best for the audience. And we all know uh, storylines and drama are added to scintillating gameplay. Great product. Raiders still not looking like the team that uh, smacked Melbourne around a couple of weeks ago, but uh, a win's a win, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, improve from there. Speaking of Melbourne, far too good for the Newcastle Knights, um, an absolute shutout in the, the first half. Um, Knights, good enough to turn it around and threaten a bit of a comeback in the second, but couldn't quite get there in the end. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, much like, uh, you know, the, the, the Dragons game was the, the trial of Paul McGregor. I, I thought this was... <laughs> Like, this is the trial of Newcastle, right? Like, if you want to... They've been doing really well this year. If you want to be a heavyweight in the competition, um, then let's see how you go against the biggest, nastiest, meanest fighter of all time, which is the Melbourne Storm machine. Um, and, yeah, like, Melbourne were very Melbourne, shut them out for the first half, basically didn't let them, uh, didn't let them get away with anything. Uh, but then... Newcastle really came alive in the second half. I thought uh, the, vibe, the vibe really, really changed after um, Bradman best scored. Like it went from, I, I thought the, the body language of Newcastle went from like, how, how are we going to survive this to like, no, how are we going to win this? Like, what are we going to do here? Let's, let's get up. Energy changed. Um, it went, uh, yeah, it, was, it turned into a great match to watch. Uh, but of course, Melbourne being Melbourne, you just, you can't get away with anything. They'll get you. It doesn't matter if they get you with beautiful, you know, fancy flowing back lines um, or if they just suffocate you or if it's a relative or if it's an incredibly disappointing penalty to turn the game, they'll get there. They'll do it. Mm, few, um, I've been on a few of the, the Zoom media ops with the Storm um, since the resumption and a, a bit of chat around, you know, how much they're going to need to adapt to this new you know, football structure, the new normal, the faster ruck, the six again, the, the one ref, because they've been so regimented and so structured and it's worked so well for such a long time, but um, looked off the pace in that, that first game back. A lot of talk around how they were going to adapt um, to the new style of play. And I thought they've made a huge step forward in that sense. You know, Cameron Smith, you know, the old dog can learn new tricks. What is he, 37, turning 37? He was absolutely immense in this game. Um, really sort of, made great strides in terms of controlling the game in what is a very different style of game to what it was at the start of the season. And um, yeah, he's, he just showed why he's been the master at dummy half for such a long time. Like Cameron Smith, there is, he's, he's never like when you're in high school, there was always one guy who was just good at everything, whether it yep. was like he, every single sport, he was just magical at, he's that guy. Like, there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't do. And looking at Melbourne last night, Cam Munster, you can tell he was he was in control of the team and like um, uh, trying to sort of spark them and move them around the park. But when it came to where their points came from, it was all Cam Smith. He he ran the show. Um, he you know he uh, dictated the plays and he got the team where they needed to be. He's just you know he's the greatest. No two ways about it. Very impressive. Um, the previous game was the one I was covering for NRL.com um, out at Bankwest Stadium. The uh, the Bunnies and the Titans. Um, South, everyone tipped them to win and they did win. Um, looked like they were going to just eviscerate the Titans 
um, when they were out, I think, 24 to 6. They were up after about 25 minutes. Um, Latrell Mitchell, just absolutely in everything, just running over the top of people. He finished up with three try assists and a try. But I thought, to the Titans' credit, they were probably the better side for almost 40 minutes of this game, but just couldn't find a way to... They, five chances that went close to scoring or were disallowed tries or almost tries and, you know, just so much sort of, um, you know, created chances they couldn't quite cash in on. It would have been a frustrating afternoon. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this game said more about the Titans than it did about the, about the Rabbitohs. So this is, I mean, this is, uh, you shouldn't talk about, um, you know, who won what half because at the end of the game, end of the day, it's whoever has the most points wins the game. But the Titans did win or at least drew the second half didn't they? i think it was six all no 12 yeah six all for the, for the second half and like you said they could have had way more scoring opportunities that were it not for some really scrappy uh scrambling rabbitos defense they would have converted so there's a lot of positives they can take out of that game um especially since like they were it looked like in the first half they were um didn't really want to be there uh, Latrell Mitchell had a fantastic game as well. I really like. What about the return of Cody Walker? I'm a big Cody Walker fan. I think he just brings something um, massive, something in- yeah, something intangible to the to the Rabbitohs mm. team. So good for them. What about poor old Anthony Don? Um, he's just one of those players that he, like, he's he's lovable, right? Everybody, everybody yeah. like loves him. He's got this. I don't know what he, what the deal is with that beard. He's very like David Williams, Wolfman, mm. um, the 2010s era uh, Manly team. But he just tries and tries and tries, doesn't he? Mm? I'm a supporter of the beard, I said. Oh, yeah, for obvious, for obvious, for obvious reasons. reasons. For those, those that don't know, go to nrl.com and yeah. check out CK's byline. Yeah. <laughs> he is a, uh, a lovable type, though. He had uh, one of those near chances. Um, Bryce Cartwright, who was actually, I thought, very good in the second half. He uh, missed a few tackles in the first, but he really sort of came alive in that second, created a lot of headaches on, on that um, Titans right edge. Um, spotted a gap and had a kick out wide for Anthony Dom that was just inches you know, too heavy. If it was just a, yeah. a fraction less heavy, Don would have swallowed it up and, and scored. And I think he had, Don might have had a, a try disallowed or um, whatever it was. He had a few sort of half chances that could have turned into full chances. Cartwright and Don between them were responsible for a fair bit of that attacking spark that didn't quite um, add any more points. But um, yeah, both very good in the second half. And Cody Walker, who you just mentioned, he, he's definitely one of my favourite players, um, not just on the field, but off the field. I've been lucky enough to interview him a, a number of times over the years and, and spoke to him after this game um, just about how happy he was, you know, to be to be back. And he was very frank about, you know, owing his teammates a bit for landing himself in strife and missing a couple of games. Um, but we also asked him about the... Um, the pre-game was, uh, for those of you who missed it, a really nice moment. Um, all 17 players from both teams, plus all the match officials out in the middle of the field, um, linked arms in a, a big circle and, um, you know, sort of took a knee in a moment of silence just to acknowledge the, um, you know, the fight against uh, racism, the support for the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the you know, Indigenous um, deaths in custody over a number of years here and all that sort of stuff. And he, he just spoke really... Um, it was very important to him that it's everyone realizes that this is all of us in it together. Like this is how we get through it is all, you know, whatever your background, you know, race, color, creed, you know, everyone, all of us in it together, linking arms and, and moving forward. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I just thought it was really well put from, from Cody Walker and, and just a really nice moment for the game as well. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and it was, uh, widely praised all over the, uh, all over um, the mainstream media, social media. Um, I think it's great to see teams uh, and players uh, getting on board with such a worthy cause. 
absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, Friday night, Bankwest Stadium. This is close to, not just because I'm a bit of an Eels man, but close to the, the game of the year, the, um, the Eels and the Panthers. It was tense. It was riveting. The defence from both teams was absolutely top shelf. The, you know, the, um, both teams threw plenty at the, the opposition, and for the most part, the, the defence was good enough. Um, you know, Penrith looked like they were going to absorb everything and, and hold out for a win. And then just a little mini burst of three tries in the space of about six minutes in the second half, um, particularly through Wonga Blake, who was devastating. And, and Niels were good enough to get the points. It was like uh, Doc Brown had run in with the DeLorean and taken us straight to September because that was finals football in June. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, how good a game was that? Round five and you're getting, you're getting quality games it had. It wasn't just the quality of the of the, of the style of play and all that sort of stuff. It's like the, it had this tension to it. Like it was just a your standard two point premiership game, but it had this. It felt like whoever like the winner of this means something. Um, and there's there's all that stuff. There's Battle of the West, but these two these are also two informed teams. And as we were saying before, Battle of the Potential New South Wales halfbacks. Uh, it, it had it all. I, I loved it. I really feel for uh, the poor old Penrith players and Penrith fans because they were in the uh, driver's seat for most of that game. I found it really surprising that it seemed to me uh, Parramatta's game plan was, it seemed kind of impatient. Like it was just, we need to score quick points. And I guess that showed with like a fair bit of drop ball. Michael um, Jennings, still, who's been really good this year, had two absolutely wild offloads trying to force passes yeah. that, that weren't on to cost possession. Yeah, and I found that really surprising that they were doing that in, um, you know, what seemed to be such an important game. But I also find it, found it kind of surprising because it seemed that all, it, all the Parramatta's points came from kind of like quick point plays at the same time. So, um, again, that's probably why I feel so I feel so for poor old Penrith after leading um, uh, and looking like they were, uh, they were going to win for such a long time. But, mm. again, what an amazing game. Like, it was – like, that specific game was amazing, but – Rugby league, what an amazing game. That was a great example of it. Mm. I thought um, Nathan Brown was a massive in for, for Parramatta, his first game back since the resumption. He's sort of playing that, you know, that really high-octane lock role that he usually plays, but also a bit of a 5'8 sort of role, you know, wrapping around on plays and, and using his ball skills. And um, I think it was the last try he was heavily involved in with a, a quick pass. So really great signs for him. And then, the you sort of had a, a whole bunch of playmakers out there, like Junior Paulo can you know throw a nice pass and a nice offload. Plays like a ball player at times. Ryan Madison had probably close to his best game for the, the club, and he's you know played five eighth in the past. And then the actual halves, Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses, going absolutely great guns. I think they've found a much better balance this year. Like they were good last year, but with Brown sort of maturing and getting a bit more confident in, in making calls, he's he's still letting Mitch run the show, but really finding his time to to get involved and making it count it's it's quite amazing the the evolution of the team the, uh, for me not that anyone cares what i think but i never really considered them premiership material until that game now um now i think that premiership favorite tag is probably well deserved what what do you think so there's there's the roosters who are uh, i think just the benchmark for everything and now there's probably Parramatta that sit just below them what do you think the gap is between between the roosters and, and Parramatta? It's a really, it's a good question. It's a hard one to answer. I was asked, um, it might have even been before the lockdown, but um, we had one of our opinion um, for and against columns on NRL.com and it was as to whether the Eels can win the premiership this year. Um, and I was arguing the no camp. And my, my basis was basically, even though the Eels were good last year and could potentially be better this year, the gap between them and a, a Melbourne or a Roosters in a big finals game was still too big 
to make up in in one year and they probably needed one year of self-belief and beating a few good teams and making the finals again to really be contenders the year after but um, the way things have gone this year it kind of feels like all bets are off like the eels have looked probably the best of any side um, I guess the roosters uh, will find out a bit more tomorrow but they obviously torched you know Brisbane last week but they've looked as good as anyone you know the, the roosters have lost Cooper Cronk you know Kyle Flanagan's sort of finding his way um, in the halves. You know, the Storm are going to be thereabouts, but, you know, they have they got the firepower to, to win a premiership. So, you know, Canberra, everyone sort of had his premiership heavyweights, but they've been pretty unconvincing since they beat um, the Storm a couple of weeks ago. So as the season goes on, if you keep winning games and um, the Roosters or Storm or Raiders or someone, a likely heavyweight doesn't get a real kick along, then who's to say they can't win it? Yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's great. It's about time. Like, Parramatta's a massive club. And when Parramatta's doing well, you can feel, like, if you go anywhere west of, say, like, George Street, the city just has this vibe. Um, and everyone everyone becomes a Parramatta fan. Like, you know, your dad's mate that, that lapsed in, like, 1994 gets out the old ill-fitting James Hardy um, blue and gold V-jumper and, and proudly trots down the street. It's, it's, it really changes how, yeah, I guess the, everybody's attitude towards the game. So I hope they, I hope, I, I hope they are successful. Sorry, I hope they maintain this success. Uh, and I also hope that we get a taste of um, unrestricted crowds. If they're going to go well this season, I'd really hope, I'd really hope for a, a final series where fans can just get there and get there en masse because, uh, yeah, a healthy Parramatta, a good Parramatta season is just something to experience. I'm no fan of Parramatta, but I love what they bring when they're doing well, I love I love how the game feels. Yeah, that I was well immersed in it, that two thousand and nine magic run, and <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, you go out to Parramatta, and it's just it's something different about it. Um, I guess before we move on, you touched on the battle of the New South Wales halves. I wasn't really going to talk about it, other than that, so many other people are talking about it because Origin is so far away, and so much could happen. You know, we could have. It could be Mitchell Pearce and Luke Carey in the halves by the end of the season if it's a Roosters-Knights grand final. It could be Cleary and Moses together in the halves if it's a penrith Power grand final. There's so much that's unknown. It was Cleary's first game back, you know, since before the lockdown. So it's a couple of months with no footy for him. But, um, yeah, is it even worth kind of delving into? I think, you know, Cleary's got a few runs on the ball with Origin, but Moses is probably the, the form half of the comp. I'd say Moses is the form half of the comp, but I didn't see anything in that game that should unseat Nathan Cleary. Um, there was no, I'd say it was probably like a, a points draw. Is that a boxing term? Um, you know, Maybe. There, there was no clear winner. So therefore it's still Nathan Cleary. If you're just basing it all on that one game. Yeah, I think given incumbency and so on, it probably, you're right. Anyway, the earlier Friday game, the Warriors against the Cowboys. And with all due respect to the Cowboys, let's go on. Let's go on, Warriors. Everyone's second team. <laughs> I enjoyed this one. Um, love seeing the Warriors do well, especially as we've discussed previously on this podcast, um, all the sacrifices they've made in base themselves over here. Um, my boy, Eliasa Katara on fire once again. Um, whole team looked really good. You say uh, on fire, the Warriors are on fire, and the spark, my friend, is Cody Nikarima. He played a game yeah. I, I have not seen him play like that uh, in a good in a good two years. Like if I was a if I was a Brisbane fan, I'd be like, ah, we let the wrong, the wrong, the wrong half go. Um, he was he just had this like, cunning and energy, I guess is is how I describe it, and and a bit of swagger as well. Like with the the last um, the, the field goal to close out the first half. It was just um, Blake Green as well. Like both their halves played really well. Like the, the Warriors just had this sort of um, 
this attitude. I guess they were they were up for it. They were um, they were excited. They were energetic, and yeah, I think all that energy started from uh, from Cody Nicarima. So I don't know if he got man of the match, but if I had any sort of uh, clout in this game, I would have given it to him. A lot of people. I'm probably in the camp of. You know, why is Steve Kearney dropping Chanel Harris to Vita? You know, Cody Nickram has been tried before. Just put, let him be that 14 role and come on and, and add some spark and invest in the future. But um, it's looking like a good call because Nickarima, he, uh, he looks like one of the players who's benefited the most from the new rules as well. He's just adapted to it really well. Yeah, like I said, and that's, you can tell in the way that he plays. And he's, been, he's been building, but that, that game to me, I don't want to gush too much, but it just seemed to be like this, this Nick Arima showcase. Like he, he made me as a viewer stand up and take notice of him. Like, and I mean, you, you know, you're always aware that he's in the team, but he, you never really seemed to notice him, at least I didn't. But this, that game, I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. Like he was front and centre of nearly everything. Um, I thought uh, RTS, I mean, he always plays a great game. He's another one that it's hard not to be in love with. Um, I just really thought that the, the Warriors, um, yeah, they, I guess they came to show that uh, it's not just going to be we get one emotional win and then fall over. They, they played like a team that, was, um, the, that could win a lot more. So well, well done to them. Mm. Cowboys um, not looking quite so much like a team that's going to be playing finals footy at the end of the year. Um, they did have an injury to, to Val Holmes, who was hampered and eventually went off. Um, Jason Tamalolo, back from injury, didn't quite look 100%, I don't think. So a few injury woes for them. But before we move on, we've got to talk about, I don't know whether to call him the hammer or the cheater or just <laughs> have me so yeah, no, to buy Fido, but... This bloke, he's on debut and he already gets to choose between two awesome nicknames. Two Cheetah awesome nicknames. Right, come on. <laughs> I would say if I was gonna if I was gonna choose one for him, I would say the hammer because it probably um it's just it's, the cheetah can be confusing. Like when you hear that you think mm. like it's an accusation rather than a compliment. Like it's maybe oh, a cheater rather than We mean the animal, cheater. not he not he's cheating. Yeah. Um so if I if, if he has a choice I'd stick with the hammer. But yeah, I thought he was he was great on debut. Yeah. Um where but still where did he get where do you get the choice? Where do you get to choose between two awesome nicknames? I don't know, mate. Does he need to choose? You just keep running with both. It's all too easy, isn't it? I interviewed Cole Felt ahead of the, um, I think it was ahead of the Perth Nines, the Club Nines, and one of my questions to him feels like a a lifetime ago now, but I said, you know, who are the young guns to watch out for? And um, he couldn't quite get the name right, but he's like, Hamiso, just the hammer, like watch out for this kid. (laughs) The way he moves at training, like he, he just shows up more experienced blokes. He, he floats across the field. He's got this like really deceptive pace. He's got all the skills. Watch out for him at the nines. And then um, those of us who watch the nines certainly noticed uh, Hermiso doing very well there and uh, have been waiting for him to get a chance since. Found himself at fullback after expecting to, to play the game on the wing and um, was just remarkable. That um, it's a try assist he actually set up for Val Holmes. They, they put Val out on the wing after he uh, was hurt um, with a nice little jink and then a beautiful over-the-top cutout ball and, and just looked massively at home in the top grade. I'm sure he'll have a few ups and downs before he's you know established as a, a an NRL star, but really good signs for the hammer. Yeah, good debut. Good debut and he gets to uh, gets stick with that awesome nickname. Well done. Well done to Hamiso. Thursday night footy up at Gosford. The Sea Eagles got out of jail against the Broncos, down 18 nil, ended up winning 20 to 18. I was there for NRL.com. Um, was feeling very silly about my tip at 18 nil, but um, <laughs> somehow, somehow, manly they um, they dodged a uh, a try that would have made it 24 nil, um, which I think was the correct call. But um, they dodged a potential try just before half time, went up the other end and scored themselves and. Um, 
that was the uh, I guess the lift they needed going into half time and got there in the second. I'll tell you what, it, it does not get any easier being a Broncos fan right now. So if you were a uh, hashtag refs falter fan, then this game is like built for you because there's probably there's a fair few points where um, you can say, you know, dud call or shouldn't have been a penalty or it was obstruction, wasn't obstruction, whatever. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I personally, I think that the Broncos, they let this one go. Like, when you're leading 18 nil. Um, yeah, they, I, I probably disagree with you. I think the uh, the Broncos try that was not allowed for the 24-0 uh, lead, I think that probably should have been a try, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, uh, and there was some, like, the way they scored those tries as well. Like, Tony Staggs with a, another individual chip and chase, two weeks with individual chip and chase tries um, in the game. Things are, in a, things are obviously going really well. Um, Dar- Darius Boyd like came alive after being like laying dormant for the best part of a year and a half probably he, he really lived it for this game like when he scored that try when he scored that second disallowed try um, he saw this look in his eyes and it was on and then I don't know things just sort of fell apart I guess yeah. well done well done to Manly for sticking with it um, but I do think they probably got a couple of call- like a couple of 50-50 calls um, went their way uh, which swung the result but again that's footy right yeah, sure is. Uh, so a few things on that. Uh, Darius Boyd, first of all, actually turned to one of the other journos in the press box about 20 to 30 minutes into the game and said, Darius Boyd's having a really good game. Like he's defending really well. He shut down a few attacking chances and he scored his first try right after that. So even before he scored, I was like, Darius is on today. He's having a really good game. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably need to talk about the penalty at the end. Now, we're um, obviously not about refs faulting here on this show, but nor are we here to say the refs got it right when they got it wrong. But I honestly think the refs got this one right. Um, Pat Carrigan made the steal, even if it was only less than a second, he made the steal after the held call. And a, a one-on-one strip isn't like a player offloading. I sort of made the exception where if the player throws the offload after the held call, you can go back and play it. But that doesn't apply to a a one-on-one steal, certainly not that I'm aware of. So I think it had to be a penalty. Um, Brisbane would have loved to have challenged it, but they didn't have any challenges because they wasted their only challenge on a ridiculous obstruction play when Xavier Coates came up and um, took out a, a player. Might have been Joel Thompson um, chasing through on a kick. It was the most blatant penalty you see, and they challenged it and obviously lost the challenge. Um, there were two close things not too long after they they would have loved to have the challenge back for and that they didn't have it available. So a bit of a lesson there for teams that even if it's starting to get late in the game to maybe hang on to your challenge until you get into a, a better spot. But um, yeah, good win Manly, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, to be honest, I, I don't actually know uh, what the specific rules are around uh, a strip after the held call. If it is, if there's no uh, mechanism in the rules for it to be a, give the ball back and play on, like when you um, pass after a held call, then, yeah, fair penalty. Um, but if there is a mechanism in the rules to allow play to go back, then I, I reckon there, it would, it would, if the ref had said, give the ball back and play on, I, I think that would have been perfectly acceptable as well. Um, and yeah, he's come out and said the call was correct. And he's, he's not shy about coming out and saying they got it wrong if they got it wrong, but he's come out and said it was definitely a penalty. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough. Then, then fair play, and there's, there's nothing more to say about it. I do think you're right with the captain's challenge as well. There's a lot of... Uh, if, if I were... Any, any coach, I think, now would, should be telling his players these gives very specific conditions when a challenge is, is acceptable to use, and it doesn't matter how blatant it is and how, how sure you are you're going to win it. If the result is you don't, you, know, you don't get the ball back within 15 metres or it's not going to overturn a try decision or something like that, then just don't burn it because you never know when... 
uh, when you're going to need it. Because there's a couple of times throughout throughout this this round, there's a couple of uh, times when a captain's challenge would have been handy, if for nothing else, and to give your team a rest. Like the Sharks used theirs in in the game today. The Sharks used theirs for what was an obvious knock on. There was no way it was going to be any yeah. different. But they used it just to give the team a rest. They were like defending their, you know, had been defending uh, set after set and just needed a break. So challenge a, a knock on call. Knew they were going to lose it, but at least got to reset. So they're they're really valuable, and I think. Um, they're going to become quite critical and they're going to be, uh, become part of a, a, a greater game plan once people uh, get used to get used to using them correctly. But right now, I think a lot of players are using them just out of, um, on principle. Yeah. I think, I think it's not what you've said and I reckon I'll win the challenge. So I challenge away and then, yeah. uh, then you burn them. Yeah, there's been a few um, pretty comically bad ones. There was definitely, I can't remember what game was in them, but there was one over the weekend that came about five minutes to go on Friday or Saturday that I, I felt like was just purely for a rest rather than for a genuine challenge reasons. I saw Clint Gutherson had one for, for Parramatta, which um, I guess when you're the captain, you know, you have it knocked on, it's it's an easy call, but he was sort of receiving an offload. It bounced off his, his chest or his knee or something and got ruled a knock on. And he's like, well, I haven't touched it, so I'll challenge it. Yeah, you got the ball back for the for the overall. So I guess when you're the captain, that probably makes it a bit easier because you can just go straight away. But um, one other thing I am enjoying is when players blow up about a call they don't like, the ref's going, challenge it if you want. <laughs> Come on. Challenge it if you're so smart. <laughs> you're so yeah, confident. It's, it's, it's good to see the refs have something to fall back on, right? Like yeah. that's a, yeah, like, you know, the old Fred, not Fred, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> if you're that sure, just challenge it, mate. Yeah, um, we have Monday footy for the second week running, which uh, I didn't think I'd ever say again, but um, the Bulldogs and the Roosters is now 7 p.m. Monday night. Um, Aidan Tolman won't be playing, even though he doesn't have coronavirus um, talk that he may have to still go into quarantine because of just how close his, you know, his daughter being around the teacher who had it, um, I guess better safe than sorry sort of thing. So no Tolman, but um, Roosters uh, missing Jared Warrior Hargreaves as well, but um, still heavy short price favorites for this one yeah like i don't mean to be rude but roosters by how much mm. uh if, i think mm. um it'll it, i guess this is a game where the bulldogs can really test themselves like you shouldn't you should never be going into a game thinking that you're not going to win and the bulldogs can win if, if a lot of a lot of things go their way but like this is just a real way they're they're i guess their motto should be you know don't let them score or if they score don't let them score again and that's it don't ever give up because if they come out of it, uh, yeah, coming out of it with a loss is, is not an ideal an ideal outcome. But if, if they come out of it like with an 18-12 or a, you know, anything within six to eight points, even 10 points, I think it's a, it's a pretty good sign for the Bulldogs. So um, just hope it's not a blowout. Yeah, I'm a bit the same. They are, like you said, they're a tough, gritty team. They, um, if things start sort of... If momentum doesn't go too far away from them, they can really sort of dig in and, and keep things tight. So that's how they're going to need to win it if um, if that's what's going to happen. But Roosters coming off that demolition of, of Brisbane and bringing James Tedesco back into the team from a team that just won 59 nil is um, that's massive danger signs for anyone who's coming up against them. Like we said last week, Roosters are too good. They're just too good. Like, well done for building such an amazing, excellent team. Hooray. <laughs> We're all happy for What do you, you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, exciting to have some Monday night footy this week. And then uh, it's all back on again next Thursday night for an exciting round six. So you and I will be back next Sunday to take everyone through what's happening in round six. Can't wait. And before we go, do you know this means that next week there's only two games that don't have a football game on? 
Monday, you got Monday, free. yeah, and Thursday through to Sunday. How good is it? That's so much footy. I heard people yeah, saying when we good. were coming back with no crowds, why not just have footy seven nights a week? And instantly, my brain is like, <laughs> I can think of some logistical reasons why that might be a bit of a challenge. But you know, we're but not too far yeah. away from it. <laughs> That's right. Nice well, time. I mean, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday night we can watch full match replays on NRL TV via NRL.com. That's definitely what I'll be doing. All right, I'll see you there. <laughs> Catch you there.